They got Jungleland on the jukebox. There's a blue ribbon in your hand. And the whole room is moving together like a high school marching band. Joe puts his arm around Maria as he stands to give a toast. Here's to the country. Welcome to another episode of Religionless Church. I'm your nomadic Minneapolisite and Religionless Church host, Mesa Menega. In this episode, I talk with Grace G. Sun Kim. Grace is the Associate Professor of Theology at Earlham School of Religion in Richmond, Indiana. She is the author or editor of 15 books, including The Homebrew Christianity Guide to the Holy Spirit, Handraisers, Han, and the Holy Ghost. Also musically featured throughout this episode is Jack Droppers and the Best Intentions. Jack Droppers and the Best Intentions is a rock band from Grand Rapids, Michigan. You can get connected with both Grace and Jack Droppers and their work in the links in the episode description. In the links in the description, you will also find my website, mesameninga.com, where you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other religionless church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. If religionless church matters to you, there are two ways you can support. First, give the podcast a rating and a review. This not only offers thoughts and evaluations to others considering listening to the podcast, but it also informs me upon what to improve with the podcast. The second way to support is become a patron of my Patreon page. Patreon is a service where supporters financially support creators. With currently three different tiers varying from $1 to $10 a month, you receive respective rewards for supporting my work. Rewards include papers I write, upcoming Religionless Church episode previews, lectures I create, and much more. The links to connect to and support me and my work, including my Patreon page, are all in the episode description. I no longer wish to be your object cause of desire, as I, with my begging rambling, prevent you from your object of desire of this awaiting episode. Therefore, here it is, Religionless Church. Today we have Grace G. Sun Kim, who is the associate professor at Earlham School of Theology in Indiana. And uh, Dr. Kim, you do lots of things in the world. You're obviously a theologian, um, and I'm not sure all the other things that you do in the world. I, I, I mean, I don't know if you're a partner or a, a mother or all the things that you might, may or may not do, uh, but you do lots of things in the world. And so my first question, as I ask, ask every guest, is who is Dr. Kim, Grace G. Sun Kim, to Grace G. Sun Kim? Okay, so, well, thank you so much, Mason, for having me on. This is very, very exciting. I love to do podcasts. And if people invite me to talk about my book, I'm very, very excited. So as you introduced, <laughs> I teach um, theology at Earlham School of Religion. I am married and I have three kids. Wow. So, yeah, one, uh, he's a 
junior at Hopkins, and then I have my second child going to Cornell this fall. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then I've great. got a high school student who is a sophomore. So people don't think I have three kids. Sometimes I wake up and I, everybody thinks I have two kids, but anyway, I do have three kids. <laughs> All mine, Who's the one I'm, that keeps getting left out there? I know he gets left out in everything. <laughs> poor poor little. So I always forget about him too. So I feel really bad. But once my daughter's out of the house, I'll have to concentrate on him. So <laughs> it'll be hundred percent on him. He may not like it in the fall, <laughs> but that's there what too I Too many do. eyes I, on one, one person. Yeah, yeah. So he may be a little stressed out because right now, you know, it's divided between the two. Right. But anyway, it's exciting. I never thought I'll have three kids. And, you know, they're they're becoming great uh, young adults, um, doing fantastic things. I'm very, very proud to be their mom. Um, I also write. So mm-hmm. um, today you'll be interviewing me on one of the books. And I also am an ordained uh, Presbyterian minister, so PCUSA. Mm-hmm. So, um Yep, so I'm ordained. And most Sundays I'm preaching somewhere, either where I live somewhere or if I'm traveling at another place. But that's kind of the gist of what I do. And it's very, very exciting to meet you um, online and do this interview. So thank you again for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. So to begin, there's so much to theology that one could focus on. Uh, What is it about the spirit and pneumatology that captivated you? Well, that's a very um, good question. So um, I think most theologians, we concentrate on who Jesus is. So Christology has been the center and the focal point. So even mm-hmm. if you go to a, a library at a, at a seminary or somewhere, majority of the books are on Christology. So when I was doing my PhD program, um, I, I did it on um, Sophia Christology, so mm. wisdom Christology, mm-hmm. looking at the feminine side of who Jesus is because everything is so masculine. Mm-hmm. So I did that that and the book came out it's called the grace of sophia so that was my first book and i thought oh this is what i'm going to do for the rest of my life i'm just going to concentrate <laughs> on who jesus is and then i wasn't able to produce um my kids were very young at the time it was around 2004 uh, when i started teaching and it was hard to write and i felt everybody had some say about who jesus is so in my struggle i realized um you know, we're living in a global world. People are traveling. You're taking um, seminary classes online and you're traveling and, and people are immigrating, migrating. We have refugees. So many things are happening in the world today. And if, if we can't learn to live with one another who are so different from us, so, you know, we're, the white Euro- European immigrants aren't coming as much as maybe from South America or from Africa or Asia. Mm-hmm. So if we can't live with people who are so different, that's a big problem as Christians. Mm. So I kept wondering and thinking about what area of study can I do that can lead me to a theology where all are welcome. And as I was reflecting on theology, I felt like it was maybe the area of the spirit. So it's a very, very important to study different religions and figure out, you know, how can we live with one another and not kill each other? Because, you know, we see the killing already. People mm-hmm. are afraid of Muslims. People are afraid of the Jewish uh, people of faith and Christians. So people are afraid and people are killing each other. And many of the wars, when you look in throughout history, are of maybe because of religion. So that led me to think, what is there... Uh, within Christianity that can kind of open the door for an interfaith dialogue that will be welcoming of one another. And as I study the different religions, I, you know, I teach interfaith dialogue here at Earlham School of Religion. Um, you realize that the presence of the spirit exists 
in all these kind of major world religions, hmm. which led me to think, you know, if we can, because sometimes it's hard to talk about who Jesus is with a Jewish person or with a Muslim. People, it's, it's hard to enter a dialogue or be welcoming or loving of one another when you enter it with Christ. But when you enter with the spirit, because, you know, if you look at the Old Testament of the Jewish people, you know, we have Ruha, which is what we use as spirit. Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, the um, the the New Testament folks used um, Greek and the word was pneuma. So different people have different words for the word spirit. And if you look at the different religions, um, you know, Muslims have a word for spirit like Ru and um, Buddhists and different words such as Tai Chi, Reiki, um, Taekwondo. If you take Taekwondo classes, the master would talk about Chi. So that's another word um, used in Asia to talk about spirit, which is very, very, very prevalent in our culture. So mm. that's why in the Holy Spirit, the homebrew um, homebrewed Christianity guide to the Holy Spirit. I do mm -hmm. end with the word um, chi. Mm -hmm. That maybe that's a different way to uh, help us understand as Christians, because as you know, when we are Christians, the, we only really have um, words to help us understand who God is. So uh, we read the Word, the Bible. Uh, we experience God, and we share that through our words. On a Sunday morning, a preacher will will preach the word of God. So it is really through the word that we understand and we come to kind of encounter God. Mm. And sometimes words are limiting. So we want to kind of find out what other words can help us understand the infinite when we are these finite human beings. So we have to recognize firstly that languages are very limiting. Mm. Mm -hmm. So we kind of want to search different cultures. Ruha gives a different perspective of what the spirit is. Numa gives another perspective. So we use these different words. And when we think about Christian theology, and we know much of it kind of existed in Europe for the last 2,000 years. We had French theologians and German theologians, mm -hmm. so, and, and sometimes it was written in Latin. All those different languages had a word for spirit. So when the German theologians were talking about the spirit, they didn't use pneuma as written in the New Testament. It, they didn't use um, ruha as in the Old Testament. They used their own language, which was guys. So as an Asian American theologian, I think um, different languages, words that we can find from different cultures, if it can give a deeper insight into our own kind of Western Christian understanding of who God is, I think that's helpful for us. And we should be able to kind of retrieve just these different languages and different words to give a more fuller and a more meaningful mm -hmm. um, and a deeper understanding of who God is. Because mm -hmm. we're understanding God as spirit and we experience God as spirit. So the more languages, it gives a fuller and a deeper for understanding of who God is. How does Platonic dualism of the spirit and body play into our conceptions of the spirit? Okay, so I think um, dualism, you know, in some ways it may be helpful, but in other ways it's very detrimental mm. in the sense that, um, you know, it divides the world into two. So there's a good and a bad. So heaven is good, earth is bad, the spirit is good, the body is bad, um, man is good, woman is bad. So, mm -hmm. you know, the dualism exists. And sometimes um, when we think that way, um, we consider our bodies as evil. So much of our Christian um, history, we've kind of said the body makes us sin. So it's a very bad thing. You know, Eve committed sin mm. and being passed on. So the body was always looked up upon poorly and the spirit is good. But, you know, I think, 
in some ways, chi then is a helpful way to understand the spirit because chi is like an embodied understanding of spirit. When we think about God, we know that God is within us. So we talk about that, you know, we, we say, you know, God lives within us and we want um, God to dwell in us or we dwell in God's body. So this understanding, we, we say it in one way, but then in Christian terms, as maybe on a Sunday morning, we, we don't want to think of this embodied spirit as much as perhaps the Asian perspective of what she does for us. Mm. So in a sense, Christian uh, theology, the European theology, um, it kind of presented a spirit that was kind of out there. So out in the sky, something that wasn't tangible. It was kind of mysterious. It was a very philosophical understanding Mm. of the spirit. Mm -hmm. And I think dualism kind of fed into that. But, you know, I'm trying to break down the dualism way of understanding Christianity and recognizing that our bodies are good too, and that we can do good with our bodies. You know, God loved our human body too. God Mm. healed us. Mm -hmm. If, If our bodies didn't matter, you know, when God when Jesus saw someone with leprosy, why heal them if the body is bad? So we under, it gives a more holistic perspective rather than separating you know, good and evil in, in such a way that the body becomes bad. So I think um, using terms like chi is, is maybe a helpful way so mm. that we get an understanding of an embodied understanding of the spirit, that there's, the spirit does reside in us. The spirit seeks our bodies and spirit actually works through our bodies too. Mm. And you know, it, the whole concept of chi is the chi is within us. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm a Presbyterian pastor, but I teach at a Quaker school and the Quakers always talk about that of God in everyone. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what that means. And, you know, they say it means different things, but if we use the spirit language, then that's really saying the spirit of God in all of us. And I think that's a very Christian understanding that we, we do say we invite Jesus into our hearts, you know, if you're evangelical, we talk in that kind of language, in different languages, or you know, the main line we may just say the God, God, God within us. Mm. So we do use different languages for our personal experiences of God um, in our lives. Depression taught me a lesson Like the ocean learns the moon I try to behave as I wrestle the waves But the tide pulled me back toward you Other than in charismatic traditions or even some others, why have so many church traditions throughout history and even today neglected the spirit? I guess because it's hard to talk about the spirit. Um, I always have a hard time too. Um, in my book, The Home Brood, I, I share about my early experiences of the spirit when my parents kind of took us to these different revival services and I didn't know what was happening. It was a very Pentecostal tradition. So even though I grew up, grew up in the Presbyterian church, they felt the need to go to these Pentecostal revival services. And, you know, I would just stay outside in the fellowship hall playing with all the other kids. But once in a while, I would peep in and I would see them speaking in tongues, raising their hands. And I didn't understand it. I didn't know that that was a spirit. I just thought it was something scary. Mm. Um, But I I forget what your original question was. (laughs) Why why have so many church traditions neglected the spirit? Yeah. So, you know, I'm Presbyterian because 
the spirit moves as it wills. You know, the mm. spirit of God moves. It's like the wind. And we use different words to describe the spirit, the breath, the wind, the energy, um, the life-giving spirit. And we don't know where the wind is blowing, but the wind blows and it lands on the people. The, on the Pente day of Pentecost, the spirit came down and it felt like uh, tongues of fire on them. So we are afraid. And so we kind of move away from the spirit. And Jesus is the passionate being, the one who loves us. So we do center on who Jesus is. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, Christocentrism, you know, has been around for the last 2000 years. But many theologians are saying maybe for the next 2000 years, it'd be a spirit centered mm. uh, Christianity. We don't know, but the, we, so we are a little afraid of the unknown mm. and we feel that the spirit is less on known because it wasn't tangible it is something that kind of blows in the wind yeah. so i think in many ways so the main line we're afraid of that so we don't want to deal with it uh you know we deal with it one sunday of the year maybe on pentecost and after <laughs> that we, we go back to jesus but i think um you know living in a in a, a multicultural world where where you know um cultures are colliding and new people are meeting each other. We need different languages. And so my, my gift in the book is perhaps we can use the spirit language to enter into dialogue with those who are so different from us, because, mm. you know, the Christian message is that we are to love one another, you know, love God and love one another. And sometimes we aren't able to fulfill that. Mm. So uh, mm. my, hopefully if we're so become more spirit centered, that may help us. Mm. At a popular level, there's maybe this possible or uh, renewed interest in the spirit. Uh, however, that discourse can tend towards syncretizing concepts of the spirit from different religious traditions. How can one resist syncretizing those concepts of the spirit from different religious traditions, yet still learn and be shaped by them? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, we Christians are very afraid of syncretism, whether it's about the spirit or anything else. Um, you know, our Christian traditions, how we do worship, etc. We get very, very afraid uh, because we want this pure kind of notion of Christianity. But if we are if we become historians for a moment and we look at the Israelites roaming around, um, you know, God says, I'm a jealous God. God was aware that the Israelites were in touch with different religions. There was a lot of syncretism already happening among the Israelites as they roamed around. Um, you can see that in the book of Proverbs. You can see that in the book of Psalms as they are kind of not borrowing, but somehow, you know, we don't live in isolation. Sometimes, you know, you get sick and tired of living with others and you want to live by yourself, but we, we live in community. We're human beings. We're social people. And, you know, my thoughts will influence you and you influence me. So people do influence each other. So even just looking at the Jewish uh, faith, there was already mixing of uh, practices and of understandings. So that already happened. When we look at now Christianity, we think, oh, Christianity is so pristine. It's so, you know, it's been the same as it was in the early church. That's not true. <laughs> uh, when we think about um, our Easter, we just celebrated Easter, when we think about uh, celebrating Christian, I mean, not Christ, Christmas, a lot of these traditions and practices kind of came in from paganism, from the white Euro pagan traditions mm. in Europe. So already this mixing had occurred. So, you know, 
we can't say it, it didn't happen because it's it's been documented that that's how we are yeah. celebrating Easter, the way we do celebrate Easter and the way we do celebrate Christmas. So it's a documented fact. I think we get a little afraid when we, so that, that came from the white Euro um, centric tradition, the pagan traditions, but we get a little afraid if it comes from Africa or South America or mm. Asia, because it's a non-white thing. So then everybody gets more uptight and then everybody gets, then they use, they throw in the word syncretism. Well, as if it's from the pagan white tradition, it's not syncretism, but it's something else. And then, but if it's from a non-white tradition, everybody gets a little bit more tight. But I think we need to be truthful to ourselves and, 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 and just kind of state it that it has been happening throughout Christian history and the Jewish history. And when you look at all the other religions, there is a little bit of mixing because nothing is mm. pure. It gets passed on. You know, our cultures change, our understandings change. And so there has already been this class shame. So people shouldn't be afraid. I think when we are open, because, you know, Philip Jenkins, uh, a scholar said, you know, the churches in Europe are shrinking and so is in North America. So Christianity is dying in the European countries and in North America. It's going to the global south. If it's going to the global south, there's going to be more Christians in Africa and South America and Asia. Mm. And we see that already happening. And if that is, we now have to learn from them. We have to learn and see what they can offer because God doesn't just speak to white people. God mm -hmm. speaks to all people. The spirit doesn't just come to the white people. It mm. comes to all people. All Book of Joel says the spirit will be upon all people. And that just didn't mean the Jewish people. It meant all people, even at that time. So we can't limit. So that's another thing I write in the book. You know, sometimes we like to monopolize Christ, uh, the spirit and say only Christians have it. Scripture keeps saying it. the spirit will fall on wherever the spirit will fall on. Mm. So we Christians want to limit the spirit. The spirit is... <laughs> forever moving. And when we think about our little planet, it's very tiny. How are we going to say the spirit only resides in our churches or in, in my Christian faith? I don't know. That's just my exploratory uh, theological endeavor these days. Mm -hmm. We can't bind the spirit. We can't limit the spirit. The spirit moves. Our earth is tiny. Our, 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 our solar system's tiny in comparison to the whole galaxy the spirit is hovering all over us and so I, I don't know it's something that i'm still struggling with and trying to figure out and i think we as christians brothers and sisters we struggle with uh with it together and try to make sense of um, our, god's presence in our lives and how god is interacting mm -hmm. with us in our lives In relation to that last question, we've talked a, you've talked a little bit about this, but maybe you could dive in a little deeper. How does chi fit into this conversation about maybe in particularly how does it relate to uh, the conversation about how Christians conceptualize the spirit um, versus those who um, think of spirit in in what we would refer to as chi? Uh, how, how does that all sort of relate? 
Okay, so I talked a little bit about the Israelites, Ruha, uh, and that basically means uh, wind, breath, life-giving spirit, energy, mm -hmm. uh, spirit of God. Numa, the Greek word, was essentially the same definition. So wind, mm -hmm. breath, uh, spirit, energy, uh, spirit of God. When we go into chi, chi means the same thing, wind, breath, energy, spirit. So these are different words for the same thing. Mm. So that's why I use it. It's not because chi means something else. That's what it has always meant. And, it, mm. and it's a very ancient word in, in, in the Asian traditions. And we say the chi is in our body. So it, that's why it's so helpful because spirit seems so disembodied. It's something way out in the galaxy mm. that we can't. Um, actually understand that's why churches don't want to talk about the spirit the pentecostal tradition the holiness tradition they talk about the spirit but the rest of us we are afraid to talk about it but this she understanding is it's out there but it's also within us so if you study um eastern medicine i don't know people may not want to hear anything about eastern medicine but western medicine we have a map of our blood vessels so you know the doctors know where the blood vessels are going in mm -hmm. the in uh, Chinese medicine, which had been around thousands of years, way longer than Western medicine, they've mapped out the qi. That's why, you know, people go to acupuncturists because your qi is not moving the right way. It's the energy flow that's not going the right way. Mm. When, when we die, our bodies become cold because our understanding is the qi leaves us. The qi is the one that gave us energy and gave us breath and life. When we're born, we're breathing. That's a qi coming in us. When we die, the qi leaves us. When we die in Christian terms, you know, we say the spirit leaves us and, or the spirit goes into the other world, into heaven or something. So our soul leaves us. It's kind of the same kind of concept. It's just a different word mm. and different culture kind of using it those terms so i just find it it's a very more helpful way it gives a more embodied understanding of uh, of uh, of how the spirit resides in the world that the spirit does come within us and helps us you know when i think about uh, loving one another the other book i wrote before the homebrew book is called embracing the other mm. and that was another um book talking about the spirit you know I began the podcast interview talking about how we need to love one another because if we don't, we're going to end up killing each other. And we, we're seeing that today in New Zealand, the shootings mm -hmm. in the mosque um, in, in um, Sri Lanka. I, I was mm -hmm. supposed to be going there, but I may change my plans. You know, the, the bombing in the churches on Easter, and we know mm -hmm. the synagogues, you know, the killings in the synagogues here in the mm -hmm. U.S. So these things are happening. And so the question is, how are we going to love one another? Mm. And to me, it is hard to love, especially those who are so different from us or even our enemies. It's hard to love or even loving our brothers and sisters, our biological parents. It's hard to love sometimes. And I think at the end of the day, because that book is called Embracing the Other. And then the, the, the subtitle is A Transformative Spirit of Love. Mm -hmm. I really think we can't do it ourselves. The only way we can love and, and welcome one another as Christ has told us to do. Embrace one another as God has told us to do. You know, break bread with one another is with the help of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that comes in us. You know, we sing sometimes on a Sunday morning, come Spirit, come. I don't know what people actually think, what 
what does that mean? Is it another Pentecost? How does the spirit come? And so the language of chi is helpful that the chi that resides in us, the spirit of God resides in us. So it's a mm. very helpful, more, it widens our perspective of what the spirit is and how the spirit interacts and acts in our lives. So that's why at the end of the day, I think we can't, I can't love someone who's been mean to me. You know, racism is pervasive in our country. Sexism is also pervasive to those who have abused me or have done bad things to me. Why would I want to love them? But at the end of the day, we ask spirit come so that I can be transformed and I can do this with the help of the spirit. Where do you see the future of theological scholarship of pneumatology headed? Um, I think, you know, I've written books on it and I keep talking about the global understanding of the spirit. So I may be wrong, but I think that's the way to go. Mm. Um, I've done several talks this year on the spirit. And then when I meet African theologians, so those who reside in Africa, and when I meet South American theologians um, who live in South America, you know, some of them are talking about the spirit and they're talking it from their own historical cultural perspective as a Christian, but as an African or as a South American. And it gives a deeper insight. So I feel like we can't limit our understanding of the spirit in the English language, we need different languages. Africans have offered it. When I think about Hawaiians, you know, before America bought Hawaii or took over Hawaii, colonized Hawaii, the natives in Hawaii, um, as we know, greeted each other, um, aloha. Mm -hmm. So aloha, everybody's familiar. Um, but I don't think people are familiar with what aloha means. Ha is breath. So mm. we see these different terms in different languages. So they're greeting one another and they're saying aloha, which is I'm sharing you the breath of God. That's what their greeting is, sharing mm. the breath of God with one another. I find that very insightful. So I think the more that we learn for, about each other, the language that we have, um, you know, uh, in India, they use they have the word prana for spirit. In Australia, you know, the aboriginals had a word for spirit and they were able to say that you know, the spirit helped them you know, run and, and even communicate with one another like thousands of years before we even had telephones. So somehow they knew the spirit kind of resided and, and dwelt among their people and, and protected them and helped them and, and helped them to do good things. So we, when we study the spirit and we learn from different cultures and different perspectives, I think it really helps us. So maybe it is a global spirit mm. or the global understanding of the spirit. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm this finite being so limited you know we're not all that bright so even in our uh limited brain power we'll never understand the creator you know and augustine said it very well he says once you say you know god then that is not god so you know on a sunday morning we want to sit there we want to think that the pastor knows everything and is going to tell us everything that we need to know about god but that's not true. We are seekers and we, we help one another in our journey of faith. We, we walk with one another. We listen to one another. And, and I think that kind of walking and journeying together, we learn from one another. So we need to open our hearts and our minds to the movement of the spirit. We can't limit the spirit and say, you know, the spirit only resides in my church 
and not in your church. Mm-hmm. And some churches do that. It's it's funny how people work and as Christians work. You know, the spirit's <laughs> not in your church or not in your family. But who's to say that? You know, the spirit blows where it blows. Mm-hmm. Um, God says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. So we can't limit. We have all the answers kind of floating around, but we don't want to listen to it. And we just want to do our own thing. And we want to build those walls up, uh, you know, physically or metaphorically. We want to build those walls up and we want to constrain God and limit God's movement. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if we can do that or we should be doing that. So that's something that I'm working on and thinking about and reflecting on um, as I work and as I teach. But it's all the same to me now. We have Jack here, and uh, Jack, I just have to say. Out of all the artist interviews I've done for this podcast, you might have the best name. I like. That's good. I got made fun of for the droppers most of middle school. Um, I'm but. sure, but well, you've totally redeemed that now with one of the most badass band names I've I've heard. That's good. I'm glad you dig it. We've been so the band is Jack Droppers and the Best Intention, and we have been called almost everything but that whenever we play in another. <laughs> Um, people like to drop the S for my last name. They love to call us the Bad Intentions, which makes it sound like a some sort of 80s cover band. Yeah, that doesn't fit well. <laughs> I'm glad that, that uh, you can appreciate it. <laughs> it's great. I mean, uh, you know, obviously with a lot of like blue, blues musicians, they, you know, kind of have that sort of like a name and then like the band has its own name where it's, you know, the name, the solo artist, and then the band. And, uh, you got to get creative with that, right? You've got to get creative. And uh, that one, yours might be one of the more creative ones I've seen out of all those blues musicians that kind of have that same sort of structure and formula. Yeah, it started out as a joke because um, I, I played in bands my whole life. But when, uh, when I started playing solo stuff, it was really whoever I could find to play a show with me. So it was me and literally the best that who, who was around that Friday night and who could play. And then it, That's amazing. In the lineup, we just stuck with the name. So, I mean, it, it almost is a little bit more meta than just the, just on paper. Like, there's actual sort of story behind... Uh, yeah, a little bit. A little, <laughs> a little something there. Well thought out. Uh, it was more so, this, this sounds quirky enough that we can keep it. <laughs> Great. Well, you, you just released a new album at the beginning of April. Yep. And uh, let's talk about it. What what was one of the uh the inspirations behind it musically that you yeah what what sort of inspired you musically to to write this new album yeah so uh it's our second record it's called bottled up like a neon light um yeah our music tastes are all across the board um for me personally uh i'm a huge springsteen fan which Mm. you can hear a little bit in the music Mm -hmm. Um, my my wife makes fun of me for trying to cram too many syllables in each uh like stanza and that's the same thing and so you, if you hear that you go oh yeah that's where he gets it from um but yeah we we listen to stuff all over the board you'll hear um i i really got into again uh 
Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, and you can hear a little bit of that yeah. on uh, I'm fairly certain we ripped a, a chord progression off of that. That might be on the next thing, but at some point we ripped a chord progression off of Pet Sounds and changed the key and uh, and ran it in, in a different way. But uh, I, I've spun that record hundreds of times, so mm. that's definitely an influence on it. Um, trying to think of what else we were listening to when we were recording um yeah i think at that point uh the bahamas earth tones had been out for a year or so and, mm. and the guitar tone on that album was so good um that it it made me fall in love again with playing guitar uh and so That's great any of that influence on there but but i i particularly loved that album during that season mm-hmm. What about lyrically? I would imagine you're probably the the lyric writer in the band. Um, what, were, were there life experiences that were happening? Were there part- particular moods or stories you were trying to convey? And maybe was there pieces of literature that were of influence in the the lyric writing, or were were there other maybe there was music or other things that were yeah. of influence on the lyrics? Yeah, so I I write all the lyrics myself. Um, there's a lot in there. Um, I'm trying to think of literature. So uh, All Things Sing, which is the fifth song in the record, comes off of a, uh, I think he's Nicaraguan uh, Catholic priest poet, uh, Ernesto Cardinal, mm. uh, writes this, uh, this paraphrase of the prologue to John where he says, uh, in the beginning was the song and singing it sang all things in the being and therefore all things sing. And so that's where that song mm. How about that? I didn't realize that. And then I'm trying to think what else. Um, Bottled Up Like a Neon Light, the album cover comes from a song, uh, Downward Mobility, uh, which uh, a mentor of mine uh, who's an author, uh, Chuck DeGroat, would mm-hmm. use the phrase frequently with me. And um, so that, that song is about uh, reading Thomas Merton with Chuck. And... Uh, <laughs> thinking about uh, what does it look like to, uh, instead of sort of clamor upwards in life, uh, to move toward the breath in myself and uh, discover the life-giving things that come with uh, simplicity and those, those things in life. Yeah. So that, I don't know if that's necessarily uh, a literature thing, more as just me getting coffee with Chuck. Um, <laughs> I'm trying I know that while we were recording it, my wife and I read through the entire Harry Potter series. Oh, wow. Influenced me lyrically or not, um, but we, I had never read it and she was a huge fan. And so we, we read through all seven books in a matter of like six months. That's um, quick. Yeah, we would. We Those would, aren't small. We stopped watching TV and movies and we would just lay in bed from like 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. every night and read Harry Potter. Um, wow. So in some ways, that probably influenced the process. That's great. Uh, what about uh, maybe you talked about some of the music influence, but maybe were there particular moods musically that you were trying to capture um, in the recording of this new album? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say a little bit. I mean, I think part of it is whenever you sit down to write a song, there's not hardly there's there's never like a i want to write a fa- like we need a fast upbeat song so we need to write that sometimes that happens and it works um a lot of it is uh you have this sort of strong exaggeration of an emotion that you're trying to put down on a page mm-hmm. 
put down in GarageBand or whatever it may be. Um, but then there's there's a few points in this record where it, where things just hit. So the the intro song to the record is a song called Hey Maria, um, and the first line is uh, they've got Jungle Land on a jukebox and there's a blue ribbon in your hand, um, and that w was something that literally happened to me. And uh, I was at this dive bar in Golden, Colorado, with uh, my in-laws, and I was shooting pool uh, with with my wife's stepdad. And somebody put Springsteen Jungle Land on the jukebox and we're drinking PBR. Um, and then I just start singing, they got Jungle Land on the jukebox. And I pull out my voice memo thing and go to the bathroom and, and recorded that line over and over mm. again. That's, there's something there. So I don't know if that's a mood necessarily, um, but there was something that happened in that moment where I'm like, I have to capture this idea. And that ended up being the first track on the record. It, 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 are a lot of the songs that you write have this sort of spontaneous nature like that where just something comes to mind like that and you have to like all right pause the world right now i have to record a voice memo i feel like the majority of them start that way where I, <laughs> uh, the second song is, is a song called all the same to me now and now it's just one sentence that i kept looping and i tried to write it over and over again but i don't remember how it came to me um no, it was, um, oh shoot, what's the name of that book? Uh, there's the a Richard, Richard Rohr book called Everything Belongs. Okay. Uh, I like the, that phrasing of the title and the all the same to me now sort of felt the same, but it had this, uh, I don't know, it had this rhythm to that sentence. And so I just like mm. kept trying to rewrite that song. Um, yeah, so it's every once in a while, it's like this moment and I just have voice memos full of me like singing in like the backseat of an Uber uh, into my phone, like trying to cover That's it up amazing. With her, uh, because you want to capture that moment and then you just sort of slave away at, uh, at that one line that you have. Right. So there's another uh, song on the record called Vacation From Ourselves, which is a ripoff of episode one of season nine of Seinfeld. Uh, where George and Jerry are sitting at, at the diner and essentially they, they both have these crazy mustaches and, and Jerry rips into George and he says, we should have taken a vacation, but you said, you know, a vacation from ourselves. That's what you said. And I love that line so much that I tried to make a song out of that line. Wow. Times before it worked. <laughs> Did you try to get a, like a nice bass line in that song too, to, to just wrap up <laughs> yeah. that whole Seinfeld theme? It went, it went from like, all right, we can make this sound like Seinfeld. Then I wrote it and it was like this punk song. I was like, no, it doesn't fit our sound. <laughs> I wrote it again and it didn't fit again. I think I had at some point uh, like an 808 drum machine going and then I just cut it all together. And then, I don't know, three years later, I'm like, I, gotta, I just have to finish this song. I have to finish something on it. Um, and so that just ended up being the tagline. And it has nothing to do with Seinfeld at the end of the day. <laughs> That's great. Uh, what what are some like future projects that you have? I, I don't know if you do many shows or touring or anything, yeah. um, or or if you've even ha have started writing a new album. But uh, what what do you have down the pipeline? Yeah, we uh, we had a, a season of touring uh, over the past year that has slowed down actually a little bit, with, which is sort of opposite of most bands where they put out the record and that begins the crazy season. Mm. Um, but yeah, we had just gotten back from doing some South by stuff couple weeks before we put up the record and we have things here we're playing like a minor league baseball game in a few weeks and it's <laughs> kind of around around michigan where we're from um we just I, I just sat down with the producer recently about uh putting out an ep hopefully 
towards the end of this year. Um, so getting into the studio to do that. Um, yeah, we're, we just love playing music together that uh, at this point, we, there's, there's no sort of end game in sight um, outside of we just love doing this and we want to keep putting out records as, as long as we can. Um, all of us uh, have jobs. Some mm -hmm. of some of us have kids. I I don't. Our lead guitarist has two kids, though. Um, so so we're at the point where we're trying to figure out what does it look like for us to you know continue to put out a record every other year and do some sustainable touring where we're not like leaving our families for months mm -hmm. on the road or leaving or spending all of our PTO like sleeping in the backseat of a van um so so yeah so we're uh, we'll probably have some touring stuff come up uh in the fall we've got a mini tour of michigan in june um but mostly we're, we're writing again trying to uh get an ep out hopefully by the end of the year and then looking to do a full length sometime in two years from now great well thank you again jack this has been wonderful i i really have enjoyed listening to your music and uh yeah i, lo I just love a good like blues sort of uh, rockabilly song, like just the, that style, that that sort of Americana vibe. I, I can always dig it, and uh, I always appreciate those who can write a just a damn good song. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. From the clouds, or a child who lost her mother in a crowd. You know, secret things will never say out loud. To these prayers that still carry me around Oh yeah, they're all the same To me now In your Homebrewed Christianity Guide to the Holy Spirit, you have a lot of personal narratives in it. Tell us about a time you may have had a powerful experience with the spirit if you have one uh yeah so i that book came out last year 2018 and uh, you know once i write a book i kind of forget about what i wrote because i'm <laughs> writing the next book and i can't remember which book is in what but you know i've experienced the spirit in in many ways and i don't know if this particular story was in that one or in a different book uh, my mother uh, passed away um, in 2010 with stage four cancer. Um, my mother is, was a very spiritual woman, kind of praying all throughout her life. And she's mm. always telling us to pray. Uh, someone who looked very strong in her faith. Um, once she was diagnosed, the doctor gave her six months. And it was exactly six months. But during the, after the diagnosis, I, re I realized that she was very afraid. And that's the first time I thought or ever saw her afraid because she was this, you know, prayer warrior and, you know, very spiritual person. I just didn't think she was going to be afraid, especially afraid of dying. But she was. And so she tried everything, you know, Chinese medicine, Western medicine, everything that doctors offer, she did it. Um, she was praying. She thought, my dad also thought she'll be healed. And, you know, they were so mad at us. I have an older sister that we weren't praying hard enough for her healing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, resorting to all those different things. And finally, about a month before she passed away, she had a stroke. And then that left her, 
you know, her brain function limited. She wasn't able to speak anymore. And I don't know if she was like, actually able to understand very well. I first thought she did, but it was very clear near the end when the doctors were doing tests, simple tests of matching pictures with words. She wasn't able to do it. Uh, but it was at that time after the stroke where because she couldn't speak to us anymore and I didn't know whether how much she understood from me or anybody else that the only thing that we can rely on is the spirit. Mm. I called my youth pastor and he came to the hospital about two weeks before she passed away and prayed. He asked me and my sister to leave the room and he does a lot of silent prayer um, asking the spirit to come and when he told us to leave, I said to him, my mother's not going to understand you. He said, it doesn't matter, just leave the room. And so we left the room and he was in there for a long time. And he finally came out. And when I entered the room, you know, she didn't have that fear in her face anymore, in her eyes. Mm. She had a peaceful look on her face. The whole six months, she was afraid. And you can see it in her face. She was afraid to die. She didn't want to die. She was very, very fearful. But, you know, at that time when she had so much peace, two weeks before she passed away, was when I felt the spirit. And, you know, the spirit dwells in us. And it's really the spirit that can help us through crisis can transform us to do good that God is asking us to do. Because as human beings, we're so weak, we can't do it. So that was a very powerful moment for me. And, and you know, at last, and she was at peace until she died. Mm. So, you know, the power of the spirit, because a pastor always kind of did this, kind of silent prayer of being open to the spirit and he was always teaching me how to do it and you know he he wanted to do that with my mom and i say she's not going to understand you and he said don't worry about it you know the spirit works in different ways and dwells in us in different ways you can experience the love of god through the spirit that comes to us and meets us in moments of crisis meets us in death meets us in life and that's a powerful thing. And I think that is the good news that we need to share with the world that, you know, even at our time of death and the time when we are so afraid that the spirit can come and comfort us and heal us. You know, I wrote about this in a book and I don't know, for someone's book, I think for a Time magazine book, sometimes we pray for healing and we're always so, so focused on our bodies that when healing happens, it, sometimes it happens in our hearts. So even if my mother wasn't healed of the cancer, she experienced a different type of healing of her heart. And I think in, that time, in those times, we have to give praise because healing happens in so many different ways and different, and different forms. Miracles happen and she was healed. She wasn't afraid. You know, she wasn't fearful as she was for the whole six months. And, you know, that is the work of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Last question I have is, uh, how can listeners get connected with you and your work? 
Oh, thank you so much for asking me that question. That's very important. So I'm on Twitter. Everything is um, Grace Jisun Kim. So my Twitter handle is Grace Jisun Kim. My Facebook uh, public page is Grace Jisun Kim. Uh, my Instagram is the same, and my website is the same. So every okay. if you can just Google it, you can follow my work. I have another book coming out later in the year on the spirit called Imagining Spirit. Mm. So that will be coming out. So people might have to do another interview. Yes. Yes, you can you can invite me anytime. It's so fun talking to you. You know, sometimes it's not fun when the uh, interviewer is not really interested in my work. But if mm. you're you you sound so interested, so this has been a lot of fun. So invite me anytime, and I have another edited book coming out next year. Not on the spirit, but something else. Mm. So people can follow me. Um, I like to post pictures about fun things. Maybe I'll post a picture of our interview right now. That'd be great. Yeah, please do follow me. And I would love to hear from um, readers and listeners. Um, and and hopefully people will be able to use the books in the churches mm. or in the classrooms or in study groups. So many of my books, my earlier books are more academic. My later books are becoming less academic because mm. I feel the wider faith community, whether it's Christians or non-Christians, really need to read this kind of stuff and ponder on it. Maybe it's a form of outreach for me. So <laughs> I'm writing it as less academic, although you know there'll be a few more academic books in between. But anyway, uh, my latter books are less academics. So I hope people will be able to read them and enjoy them. And I would Dr. love to hear their responses too. Dr. Kim the Evangelist, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> That was good. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Kim. This has been wonderful. I love how pastoral your work really seems. Uh, it really sort of feels like you're one of my pastors that's just speaking to me through a book. Um, but yet you're a wonderful and brilliant theologian. Uh, so you I, it, you sort of get best of both worlds um, going on with your work. Oh, and I really thank appreciate you. it. You are that. so kind. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for all the work that you're doing. And thank you for reading my books and interviewing me. Best of luck in all your studies and your ministry. Thank you so much. Thank you. If that episode left you hanging and you're wanting more from both Grace and Jack Droppers, you can find links to connect to them and their work in the episode description. Again, you can also connect to me through my website, masonmenega.com. There you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other religionless church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, if Religionless Church matters to you, support by giving a rating and review and by becoming a patron of my Patreon page. Thank you for listening to Religionless Church. I send you out with this. May the divine bless you with doubt and keep you disrupted. May the divine make the divine's face of infinitude shine upon you and show you graciousness to your own finitude. May the divine lift up the divine's countenance of justice upon you and give you whole unsatisfaction, now and forever. So be it.
We ain't dead yet.